Our simple desire and motive is one thing, and that is we get people to talk to each other. There's nothing else about it. Um, and the reason why it's such a basic mission statement is because our democracy is back to basics. And our desire is to create the conditions to make it possible for people to actually achieve change. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. I want to take a moment to thank BMW of West Houston for sponsoring this episode of our Voices Matter podcast. BMW, of course, is known as the ultimate driving machine because of its precision and power. As someone who has driven a BMW for many years now, I can attest to that firsthand. But I think what's even more important, especially about this particular BMW dealership, is that it understands the power and the impact of giving back to its community. BMW of West Houston is known for its support of countless local charities, and that is important to us here at Our Voices Matter podcast. So if you choose to do business with BMW of West Houston, not only will you be getting the stellar first-class service that the dealership is known for, but you can also rest assured that you are doing business with a dealership that truly cares about and gives back to its community. Hi, everybody. It's Linda Laurel, and this is Our Voices Matter podcast. Every once in a while, you meet someone, and you know that this person has something special, something different that sets him or her apart from others. My guest today is that person for me. When I first met him, I was completely blown away by his ability to articulate his vision in such a succinct and impactful and powerful way, and particularly at such a young age. This is something that's written on the website of the organization that he leads, and here's what it says. As young people, we will inherit today's problems tomorrow. We're tired of watching our leaders play to the extremes and fail to come up with solutions. Having discussions again is more important than ever. We can't continue to let our differences divide us. We must learn how to communicate across our differences and demand the same from our leaders. Let's just fucking talk to each other. The website on which that appears is bridgeusa.org, and that is the organization, Bridge USA, that my guest today leads powerfully and with such conviction that it literally takes my breath away. His name is Manu Meal. Remember that name because I guarantee you are going to be hearing a lot more about this young man who is already a tremendous leader and certainly destined for great things. Enjoy. Manu, welcome to Our Voices Matter podcast. I'm so excited to finally have this conversation with you. Linda, I'm even more excited. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, we met um, not too long ago, a couple of board meetings ago, when you joined the board of Convergence. 
And um, I've been on the board for a while now, and I remember when your name came up for nomination to the board, and I looked at your resume and all of the amazing things that you've done, and you are so young. What are you, like 24, 5? The word on the street is that I'm 23. Oh my God, you're 23. Okay. Um, oh, I was nothing, I was doing nothing like you're doing at the age of 23. Let me just say that. But I was so impressed with just your um, everything that, that you are doing to try and make this world a better place. Um, because it is the world that you and your generation are going to inherit. So you are the CEO of Bridge USA. So let's start there and tell our audience what Bridge USA is. And then we'll go into your backstory a bit later. Yeah, thank you, Linda. And before I even get into what Bridge USA is, you mentioned, you know, I'm trying to step up and do my best. And you're seeing this across the country. And the reason why it's important for all of us to step up is because uh, President Biden ended his State of the Union speech with one simple line that anyone, Republican, Democrat, Trump supporter, Biden supporter, can agree on, which is that the state of our union is strong because we, the American people, are strong. And that line is necessary because it demonstrates what the power of America has always been about, which is just people stepping up and making something happen. And so uh, while I'm young, I also know that the people younger than me and older than me that are doing awesome things. Um, and so for me, manifestation of trying to realize the story of America has been through Bridge USA. Uh, let me say this on the outset. I had no interest in politics. I actually have less of an interest in politics now. I started off as a pre-med person at UC Berkeley. Uh, 2017, my freshman year, second semester, I was walking back from my math seminar, Linda, and I suddenly hear helicopters flying overhead and massive protests off in the distance. Now, Berkeley's no stranger to protest. Um, and, and so I just expected it to be another protest. And lo and behold, uh, it was the largest protest since the 1967 free speech protests at Berkeley, except this time, a lot of the protests were about trying to uh, stifle someone's speech. And the next day, regardless of what I thought about that specific protest, me and a couple of random people who are now some of my best friends got together and we said, hey, you know, the campus community is hurting. Young people are struggling. There's a lot of pessimism, apathy, anger, but most importantly, I feel like there's a misunderstanding. Um, and, and so we just created the space for listening therapy. We got a bunch of students together and we said, hey, let's talk about what happened. That was it. People loved that space. They kept coming back to that space. So then we built it into an extracurricular club, which then turned into an organization, Bridge Berkeley to Bridge USA. And our simple desire and motive is one thing, and that is we get people to talk to each other. There's nothing else about it. Um, and the reason why it's such a basic mission statement is because our democracy is back to basics. And our desire is to create the conditions to make it possible for people to actually achieve change. So we're currently on 51 college campuses and uh, 20 states, and we engage about 1,200 students uh, every semester. And our goal is to grow and bring this to as many young people as possible. It's just a remarkable story. And to think how it came about, you know, just literally bringing people together and having a conversation. It's, you, as you say, it is so basic, but we have, as as a human race, have have lost our way in the ability to try and do that. So talk a little bit more about some of the um, initiatives and ways that you are going about trying to bring people together and have these conversations, because it seems like an easy thing to do. Let's just talk to each other. But that's not happening. So how, how are you trying to make it happen? 
it's both easy and it sounds very naive. Um, let's be honest, it also sounds very kumbaya-esque. And if you had asked me this question two or three years ago, I wouldn't have been so direct about saying, what is it that we're doing? Um, but you're a reporter and you used to be a reporter. And, and, and one of the things that I've had and learned from you when we've had personal conversations is the power of story and the actual power of hearing someone else's emotions and letting their perspective just exist, holding their perspective, not for the purpose of changing or challenging it, but for the purpose of understanding it. So that is the premise of Bridge, is, is first, we have to convince the next generation and we have to convince our current electorate that the political conversation is no longer about left-right, Trump-Biden, liberal-conservative. It is about open-mindedness versus closed-mindedness. It is about empathy versus exclusion. It is about people that want to shut people down and it's about people that want to lift people up. That is the battle line that we're fighting. And when we can make it that simple, you can create a coalition that exists across Republican and Democrat, across black and white communities and rural and inner cities. The second thing that we're doing is actually on the ground. We have college chapters set up across the country and I stand on some really tall shoulders of young people that are doing amazing work. Um, there's three basic things that our chapters do. The first is they try to instill that new disruption in our politics on campus. They hold small group discussions, dialogues featuring the Black Student Union, the Latinx Student Union, the College Republicans, the Democrats. Um, the second thing that our chapters do is actually work with the university administration to institutionalize policies of ideological diversity and openness. Because if we're not willing to be challenged in college, uh, then I don't know where else we're going to be challenged. Um, and then the third thing is 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 actually. Uh, the most complex and sometimes often the most difficult, uh, but it sounds relatively simple, is we're bringing hype to this work. When you're a young person, you're going to a college campus, the number one motivating factor to join clubs is who's the loudest, who's the coolest, who's the most engaged. And the challenge with our work, and as many of your previous guests have outlined, is that bridge building sounds a little elite. It sounds a little, uh, you know, as I said, kumbaya. It sounds a little fluffy. So our job is to make it hardcore activism work. Um, Bridge building is a theory of change. If you're looking for a theory of change, this is the one that you ought to consider. Okay, so you said a lot there that I want to I want to peel back the layers on. So you talk about how you have to come up with ways to engage young people. So you've got this new campaign that's called Let's Fucking Talk to Each Other, right? Yes. Okay, yes, and I yes. know you've gotten a little bit of blowback for using the F word uh -huh. there, but that's how young mm -hmm. people talk. So tell us what that tell us what that campaign is and how yeah. how it's going because I know you just launched it and it's going to take place over over a, over a period of time in multiple phases. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually not just how young people have been talking about the state of our union. It's uh, you just know how what? all of you're, us have been talking right. about and the state I, of our I union. Caught, I caught myself you know? saying that. It's like, you know what, Linda, you say fucking too. Do you so, not feel oh, that? But that's okay. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I, but, but thank I, you for I get correcting me question. on that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I get the point of your question. So here's the fact. I ended the last answer on this notion that bridge building and dialogue sounds fluffy, elite, and not urgent. Um, our job is to make it urgent, it's to make it something that everyday people can engage in, and it's to make it something that actually taps the heartstrings. The way to get this work, the way to break past our own ideological bubble of bridge builders, which we've kind of built, is, is to reach a sentiment that most people feel, and then to harness that sentiment. So we were going across the country um, 
you know, tens of college campuses meeting hundreds of students. And I personally do road trips where I like drive across the country for just a simple act of trying to understand what random people in the country are saying and thinking. And every time I talk to someone, I've yet to meet someone that's like, it's a bad idea to build bridges. It's a bad idea to, to have a conversation with someone just for trying to understand them. And importantly, everyone's like, let's just fucking get along with each other. And so we thought, well, a lot of people are scared to say it. Why don't we just say it? And, and yes, there's been blowback, but it's blowback not from the stakeholders that are actually on the ground. It's blowback from those that are, that are, that are considered elite. And, and I'm actually perfectly fine with that because this work cannot be perceived as elite. This work has to be everyday people's work. Uh, right now, Republican, Democrat, Trump, Biden, there's not a single person that isn't dissatisfied with the status quo. And so people are looking for visions for change. And so bridge building doesn't immediately speak to change. Our job is for it to speak to change. And so that's why we launched the campaign and our students love it. And it's, it's boosted recruitment, it's boosted uh, support, um, and importantly, it's given other organizations more leeway to test riskier messaging. So what happens in phases two and three? You just launched. Yeah. So how, how is this campaign going to unfold and how can people become engaged in it? Yeah, thank you for asking. So phase one was let's fucking talk to each other. So what's the natural question? Why can't we fucking talk to each other? So that's phase two. And then phase three is, well, once we figure out why we can't talk to each other, let's fucking talk to each other again. So uh, phase two will actually involve a road trip that launches in two weeks. Um, me, uh, Jessica Carpenter, who's the director of marketing, and Ross Irwin, who's uh, the CEO of Bridge, we're going to get in the car and we're going to drive from Minnesota to D.C. We're going to hit 10 chapters over about 12 days. Uh, each chapter is going to be hosting a Braver Angels debate. With, with trying to answer the question, why can't we fucking talk to each other in different angles? So some students will be talking about social media, others will be talking about race, some will be talking about income. And, and the hope of that road trip is for both for us to support our chapters and live with our students on the ground, but then also to actually try to understand what are students saying about this sentiment? Um, and then once we go through that, and as you know very well, content is key. So produce a lot of content following that trip harness a lot of attention and energy. And then we end and start sort of the fall with, with the question, okay, well now let's actually go back to our campuses and show them this is what we learned and this is how you can fucking talk to each other. Mm, how, this is how you do it. This is, yes. these are the strategies. Yes. I just love everything about this. I think it's such a such a brilliant idea in its simplicity. So uh, more to come on that for sure. You, you're going to have to come back at the end of the campaign and you know let us talk some more about it. But for, I want to I want to go to the the empathy piece that you brought mm -hmm. up because that's a that's a big thing that uh, that we talk about all the time on this podcast. You've got some videos on your website. And by the way, everybody, go to the website. The website is beautiful, bridgeusa.org. It's, it's just a beautiful site, and it talks about you know, everything that the organization is engaged and involved in. And you have a section on your, on your site where you've got some videos, and one of them is called Empathy in Action. And I love that. So tell me how that came about and help our audience understand what those little videos are. Yeah, so Empathy in Action was a, a manifestation of, again, a desire to show, not tell. Because it's very easy to talk about this work. Um, and that's part of the reason why we're going on the road, is actually doing the work. Um, 
With respect to empathy in action, the idea was that we see these acts all the time, but people oftentimes don't see them in their daily lives. And so as a result, if the only thing that you see in the world is partisan media and, and political leaders seeking to divide, well, that's the norm. And our job is to disrupt that norm. And so it's to inject the electorate, it's to inject people's consciousness with those acts of empathy so that people can realize what is possible. Because right now, our problem is not that people don't want this work, it's that people don't feel that it's possible. People are giving in to the forces of pessimism and fear and believe that they are more powerful than the forces of optimism and hope. And those voices are and, the loudest that's, voices that's, in the yeah. room right now, and, and we need to Absolutely. get the other voices heard. That's why we have to bring hype to this work. We got to make it louder, exactly. cooler, and more exciting. Exactly, exactly. So the other, um, you have multiple videos on the site, but you have another another video series called Decision Point. And I just thought, mm -hmm. man, yeah. I would never have thought to do this. See, this is why what I love about your generation is that you just think differently. You know, it, you uh, you think. Uh, you know, out of the box, you know, kind of a cliche thing to say, but you just have a different way of approaching. So tell people what decision point is. Yeah. So, and now you're just taking off stuff that all of our awesome partners have done with us. So I have to give a shout out to decision point, which is actually an organization out of, uh, um, or an initiative out of Orange County that we worked with, with one of our partners called Polity. And the idea behind decision point, Linda was, Hey, you know, how many times do you actually see leaders making a decision and and the answer is zero so we thought well let's get together a couple of political figures on the right and the left that have made decisions in the past and we present them scenarios so let's say that you know the white house chief of staff just made a really bad statement on race what should the president do and so then we have political leaders actually walk through these scenarios and the reason why we do that is because to your earlier point Again, the challenge is not that people don't think that this is important. It's that they don't see it. So our job is to get people to see it. They, we want people to see nuance. We want people to see what actually happens behind the scenes and bring it in front of the screen. So that's that's the idea behind Decision Point. It's an awesome, and we had Paul Ryan participate. We had David Jolly. We had Michael Murphy. We had Republicans, Democrats across the board. Um, obviously, with that video, it's much harder to get existing elected officials to, to walk through decisions and scenarios, but we do it with former. It's just it's just a, a great um, it's a great tool for helping people see and understand, you know, kind of how the sausage is made and to put yourself in that kind of a situation. And what would you do? How would you handle it? Um, so anyway, just one of very many innovative things that you and your organization are are undertaking. So I have to ask you now about your backstory and how is it where did where did you grow up? What is it in your in your background, in your DNA that allows you to do this kind of meaningful change making work at such a young age? Tell me your story. Well, my parents would love to know the answer to that, too, because they're trying to figure out why I'm not in med school right now. Why you're not in med um, school? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell them you are doing what you're meant to do. I'll tell them that for you. OK. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. Um, so I was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, I, my parents had immigrated in 1997 to the United States. I was born in 1998. They immigrated um, from? The, from India, uh, northern India specifically. 
my mom uh, was trying to be a doctor in the United States. My dad was establishing his roots as a software engineer and product manager. And so, as you know, the immigrant sort of story is always a little bit difficult. So they actually uh, sent me back to live with my grandparents in India. Um, so I spent the first five years with both sets of my grandparents, one in New Delhi and the second one in a, in a village about 40 kilometers east of Delhi. So I was this, when I got back from India, uh, at about the age of five and a half, six, uh, I looked like this like village boy with like matted, dirty hair. Like, I don't even know English, uh, even though I was born in the United States and I'm a citizen. And I remember distinctly, I, we then moved to Staten Island and I went to kindergarten in Staten Island. Um, and then we moved uh, to New Jersey again, where I went to middle school. Then we moved again. I never spent more than two years at a school uh, uh, until high school. In high school, I went to Boston. Uh, that story of being and living in different communities of different income stratas, the story of, uh, of basically being an Indian kid um, that doesn't know anything about America or the language or the culture going into kindergarten, the one thing that I learned throughout that experience was that you have to be able to adapt and you have to recognize that you're not actually that important. Because when you realize that you're not that important, it allows you to hold other people's experiences. Because when you realize that we are all actually as insignificant as we think we should be, then your story is just as important as everyone else's story. You don't have a right to belonging more than someone else's I, right I to belong. I have belong. to stop you right there because what you just said Please. took my breath away. You said it, it it allow when you don't think of yourself as being so important, it allows you to hold other people's experiences. Yes. That's that's it. That's get, it. Get over yourself. Get over maybe yourself. Thank you. Maybe that's, maybe the, new that's the new campaign. Oh, maybe. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I just had to point that out because that no, was no. that was breathtaking. That was breathtaking. Okay, go ahead. No, I. I First of all, I have to say, I deeply appreciate you listening, but importantly, you actually went to our website and, and looked at our work. Um, it, it speaks to how much uh, value you place in your guests and, and the importance of these conversations. So thank you, Linda. Of course. Um, on, I mean, that was my story. You know, from the age of, age of five to, to 17, I moved about five times across the East Coast. I finally went to school in Boston, uh, high school in Boston. Um, I have a, a, a sister that's in 12th grade, she's a senior. I have a brother who's in eighth grade. Um, and so my life was always about adapting. It was always about empathizing with other people and always to an extent about trying to fit in, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Um, now, granted, my experience is not as difficult as many other people's experiences. You know, people have much more difficult stories. Uh, but what I do share with people that have had more difficult stories is again, this recognition that oftentimes you have to sacrifice your sense of self-importance to be able to hold other people's senses of self-importance. And that is what is so lacking in our politics. But I didn't know any of that, honestly, until now I look back. Um, I went to college across the country to Berkeley because they were the only ones that let me in and they barely let me in. And, um, and yeah, and I mean, I showed up to campus and I remember I actually had written in my college statement now that I look back and I was rereading it. I, where I distinctly wrote that I'm passionate about attending UC Berkeley because I know that Berkeley sits at the nexus of history and I want to be somewhere where important things happen. And lo and behold, the second semester of my freshman year, something very important happened. And, and I never looked back. 
and and your path has been charted since that time. So before we move forward again, I want to ask you one thing about your your um, the history that you just kind of shared with us. You talked about. Um, you know, coming back to the United States after having been born here and then having lived in India, you know, as a child. And you described yourself as this, you know, little kid with, you know, matted hair. And you, you just obviously you did not fit in. So I look like a kid from the village, 40 miles, 40 kilometers west of Delhi. Let's just let's just say that. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I know you were very young then, but, um, uh-huh. you know, one of the questions that I always ask our guests is to talk about the experience of what it felt like to be the other and yeah. how you, you know, just help us feel that. And what you learned and clearly, you know, all of these experiences have led you to the young man that you are today to do the work that you're doing. But synthesize that a little bit for us. Imagine, imagine that you walk into a room uh, and everyone is staring at you all the time. And initially you feel a little uncomfortable uh, initially, you feel a little bit uneasy. Um, you feel, you know, maybe a, a, a shrivel down your spine. You're like, what the hell is going on? And then you see that people are still staring at you. So you go take a chair. Um, you turn to the person next to you on your left or your right. And they maybe look away. Uh, maybe they aren't that interested in, in talking to you. You're just trying to make a friend. You're trying to get people to not look at you. Uh, then you get up and you go to another chair. And the same person is the exact same thing. Uh, you just feel extraordinarily uncomfortable and you feel out of place. That is what, to me, has been uh, to be the other throughout, throughout sort of different experiences in my life. But I don't blame those people. And that's where I differ from a lot of people in our politics, is I don't blame people for being uneasy with someone that looks different than them. Because that has been the human condition since the start of our existence. In India, you're, you're, you take a Chinese person, you put them in a village in India, everyone's going to stare at them. You take a white person, you put them in a village in India, they'll also be the other immediately. You go to South Korea, they have the same thing as North Koreans. We work in Bridge Africa, you see that with tribal folks in Kenya and in Ghana and in Senegal. The human condition of ignorance and uncertainty is something that affects all of us. And so rather than for me focusing more on what it felt like to be the other, which is extraordinarily uncomfortable, what I thought about was how can I help these folks understand that it's okay to accept this person? And the only way to get to that point where you can try to get the other person to accept you is to realize and understand why they don't understand you and, and to not blame them. And, you know, I get attacked for this all the time. People are like in our politics, well, you're excusing people's exclusive politics. You're excusing, excusing them. Well, guess what? That's a Twitter thing. When you're actually in a classroom and trying to fit in, it's a survival strategy. It is actually a survival strategy to excuse someone else's politics to get them to a more common place. And so that's what I did, and that's what I've been trying to do with our work. Once again, you take my breath away. I mean, your your message is so, so important. And just taking us inside that story of that little boy and what that feels like and the fact that you don't blame the other person and that's what you know is at the at the nexus of our politics right now is the blame game and um 
you know, uh, I, I can understand that you that you sometimes get a lot of flack for yeah. Yeah. for just you know trying to bridge that divide. Go ahead. And no, and let me just acknowledge something, which is that uh, for some people, it is much easier to excuse the other because there are differences in oppression. There are differences in stigmatization. You know, one of the things that I'd said in my story was that a lot of people have much more difficult stories than I do. You know, I have a family that financially supported me through college. Um, I have a stable home. Uh, I have food every day. You know, I'm living a pretty decent life. And so I do want to acknowledge that for some folks, it is much easier to excuse the other person to hold them so that you can hold their experience. It is a privileged thing to be able to do that. That said, those that are privileged should be ready to do that. You know, I'm not asking an African-American person that's in the inner city that has been beat down generation after generation to hold and excuse the other person. But I will not allow their white ally to go on Twitter and not be able to excuse the other person because it's someone's responsibility. It's someone's responsibility. I'm not asking, you know, the gay kid in high school to sit down and have a conversation with someone that does not want them to exist. But the straight friends definitely don't get a free card. And so my job is not to tell, or I'm not asking you to sit down and have an uncomfortable conversation because I understand that there's inherent privilege in that. But all the rest of us that have that privilege better be ready to use it. And that's the definition of being an ally. A true ally is calling it out when you see it, speaking up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, especially if you are the person who is in that position of privilege. Yeah. So, um, you know, I listen to you and I think, oh, we need people like Manu in our political system. And you are in it in the sense that you're, you're doing the hard work of trying to change it from the ground up, from the human level up. You said at the beginning of this conversation, I believe that you do not want to be a politician. You don't want to go in technically the go into politics in the traditional sense, meaning run for office. So what what is your long game here? What is your strategy? How are you? Obviously, you're leading Bridge USA, which is still a relatively young organization. But what's your game plan? Where, where do you want to go? Yeah, I wish I had the answer to that. I think uh, I think if you if you interviewed some of my friends or my family, they might be able to give you a better answer than I would. What would, what <laughs> I would think, they say? I think and tell of, me, give, give of, me your answer. But what would they say? I think that some of my best friends, who are actually the reason why I'm here today, uh, because they lead bridge with me, is uh, or you you know you ask my parents, uh, but particularly my friends and some of my mentors. Uh, there appears to be this general understanding that I can be a vessel for a message that is badly needed in this country. And so naturally what that leads to is oftentimes a call to run for office. I don't think I've yet been on a new show where they haven't ended the question with that. And I've told them many times not to ask that question. Um, but here's why I don't think that that's the right path right now. It's because one, I'm young. You know, I haven't done anything. Right. I mean, yes, I, we lead an organization. We have amazing young people. But, you know, it, it's a bumper sticker at this point. I don't have a family. I literally at the end of the day, I take care of myself, which is pretty hard to do, actually, sometimes. Um, 
you know, the closest thing I know to taking care of, of, of children is helping my siblings when they were younger. Um, I don't have financial pressures. Uh, I don't have a house. How can I claim to be a vessel for a story or a message when I have yet to be able to experience the experiences that most Americans experience? You know, you have to earn a right to be a leader. And so when you ask me what my long game is, it's really to, over the next 10, 15 years, is to just understand people in this country. It is to understand people in this country. It is to recognize that I'm not that important. And it's to be able to hold their experience so that I develop a better understanding of what actually this country is made of. You know, what, what is the story of America? Um, and that's my long game, is to understand this country. And then if I feel like I have a right or close to a right to be able to represent people, then that's a conversation for later. And so right now, Bridge USA allows me to do that. I love my friends. I love my students. I love all the young people that are doing this work. I love the mission. I feel like I'm doing something that I can be proud of. And, and that's what we're going to do. And then who knows? Maybe I like drop off the map and just keep doing road trips for two or three years. We'll see. <laughs> well, you know, the difference that you're making already is, is extraordinary. Um, and I, I love the way you, you talk about trying to understand America. Um, I think we're all trying to understand America. And then, so we've got, there's that conversation, but then there's America as part of the, the global conversation. And as we're yeah. recording this yeah. now, we're a week into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, you work internationally with Bridge USA. Tell me about the conversations that you guys are having now as it relates to what's, what is going on in the world. So on last Thursday, when uh, Vladimir Putin invaded uh, Ukraine, actually, I was slated to give a speech at U the University of Pittsburgh about five or six hours after that. And so it was a very difficult day to be talking about democracy. And actually, I was giving the speech at a hotel where Nikita Khrushchev, who used to be the Soviet Union's uh, 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 director, uh, he stayed at that hotel 60 years to the day. And so it was a very, very weird moment to be talking about democracy. And when I think about our moment, what the invasion of Ukraine has, has shown me, and, and most young people my age, you know, to be able to empathize with my generation, the major foreign policy events that we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, our norm has been the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, the annexation of Crimea, a growing competition with China, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So that's all we know. Um, and that's not a great sample size of peace. Um, and so when I think about the invasion of Ukraine, I mean, to me, instantly, there was this one story that I was listening to where there was a mother and her, and her son in a subway. And her father and the daughter's father, or the son's father had left. And he had gone off to fight. And she was, you know, she was like, you know, I have to be strong for my child. Our next, and the CNN reporter asked them, well, what's, what's next for you? It's like, well, we have to find the water. We have to figure out where we eat. And I said, you know, we're living in a society where we're privileged to be having the conversations that we're having. We take our democracy and our sovereignty for granted. We don't know what it feels like to have troops at your border that are ready to invade, that are ready to threaten the basic things that we don't even question because, you know, we've just grown up with them. Those are those things are our norms. And so the first message is that democracy cannot be taken for granted. The second thing, Linda, is that we have students in Bridge Russia uh, 
which is unaffiliated to Bridge USA. We have students in Bridge Europe, which is also formally unaffiliated with Bridge USA. Uh, and we see tensions, you know, within our groups. Um, there, there are students that are actively living in Russia and they provide the Russian perspective. There are students in Ukraine with their, with, um, who are providing Ukrainian perspective. There are students in Western Europe that are providing the Western perspective. And it's tough to have those conversations. But let me say this. How privileged and awesome and exciting is it to have an organization where you can actually hear those perspectives? You know, I, yes, it is tough to resolve those differences. I don't even claim to be able to resolve those differences. But to have a community of young people across the world that are advocating for dialogue and discussion and engagement is so necessary. And the last thing that I'll just say is that it looks like democracy is on a back foot. But let me say this. I ultimately think that democracy will beat authoritarianism because I think that democracy bets on the strength of the human spirit, whereas authoritarians bet on the submissiveness of the human spirit. The reason why they're winning is because we're submitting. And so we have to we have to figure our stuff out and we need to activate and we need to step up. It's what I started the podcast with is that we the people are strong because we the people are there. And and so we have to recognize our personal responsibilities in the moment. I think that is a perfect message uh, on which to end this conversation. Um, you are a bright light, my friend. You, I mean, I get chills listening to you speak, and um, I can't wait to see how your life unfolds and all of the good work that I know is going to come about as a result of you being involved in it. You're extraordinary, and it is such a privilege to know you, to be working on one board with you, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep you close because I just, I just think that, um, that you're, you're quite special, and thank you. Thank you so much for not only for being here and, and sharing your story and your perspective with our audience, for, but just for doing the hard work, for just getting up there, getting in there, rolling up your sleeves and doing it. Thank you. Thank you. We need you. Linda, thank you. I, I just want to quickly say one thing, which is that, uh, and I've said this earlier in the podcast, uh, I am only as strong as the people around me. You know, I, I, I want to I just be vulnerable for a quick second because I think that oftentimes we posture a lot. And it's, e it's easy to say and, you know, be hopeful and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, last year was a very difficult year for me, like many people. You know, there's a lot of challenge. Uh, you're often introspective. You're questioning yourself. Um, you're doubting, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? But the first step of fighting back is being able to reflect. It's to be able to look yourself in the mirror and understand and take ownership. And to all those people out there that are listening, to all those folks that are, that are feeling a lack of purpose or feeling lost, you know, this country is the only one I know, and I've lived in countries abroad, that allows us to take as much ownership as we want of our own actions. And right now we're living through a moment where we underestimate the power of everyday abilities, everyday Americans' ability to create change, and we overestimate the power of special interests and those that are in power. We have to do everything we can to overestimate our ability to create change. We have to overestimate the story of America, because if we overestimate, we'll fall somewhere short of that. And that is much better than where we are today. So thank you so much for creating the space. 
Um, I'm so proud of all of our students, and I would not be here without the support of every one of my friends that has built this movement to where it is today. Well, best of luck to you, your friends, all of the students who are part of Bridge USA, and consider this podcast uh, a second home for you. Anytime you want to come on and talk about the great work that you're doing, the door is wide open. So, Manu, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. I don't even know what to say, except I told you, he's just amazing. And um, I just know, as I said before, that we are going to be seeing and hearing a lot from this young man. Remember his name, Manu Neal. Go to our website, ourvoicesmatterpodcast.com, where we, of course, will link to everything that Manu is up to in our show notes. And uh, we're going to be having him back because I definitely want to follow his cross-country trek as he is on the ground and talking to the young people of our country about where we are as a democracy and how we can move forward in the most positive way. So again, thank you all for being a part of the Our Voices Matter podcast family. We appreciate you. If you haven't already done so, you know the drill. Download, like, share, review, and then join us again next time. Take care. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.